0: My subject this morning is Father's Day. And today we celebrate Father's Day. For some, it's a good experience. And for others, it could be a bad memory. And many of us, we have our impression of God the Father through the action in the words of our earthly father. Some of you have been made to feel... Insecure, fearful because of your father's words or actions. And you are wondering, no doubt, because of that, if you are pleasing to God, you feel that you should try harder and do your very best, just like you've been trying to do to your earthly father. Maybe. You're waiting for God to say, you know, enough is enough. I've had it. Um, And many Christians feel safer if they only knew deep down inside what would please their father. And so because of that, underneath the gospel, the gospel is good news. And underneath all of that. Is a valley of uh, hurt, of pain, and uh, your view of your Heavenly Father is a little bit distorted. And I can say that mine was. Um, I was brought up in a home where neither my father nor my mother ever, I could remember, ever telling me that they loved me. And so you grow up a little bit insecure. And when that insecurity hits, it's, it comes in many different forms. Now, when my father, my mother became a Christian, well, then it was the first time that I heard from them that they loved me. So something happens to an individual when they become a Christian. And that's what I'm going to be covering this morning. If you have received the message of your earthly father, you have no doubt Transfer that to your Heavenly Father. And what has happened in many incidents that God is not just. Many feel that God is not fair. And when you look at the world today, the world that comes rushing at us, we feel that very same thing, that God is not fair, but the, fa- the facts are this world is full of sin And the only thing that is fair is God. Now, the conclusion is that God the Father is not doing a very good job. And many Christians today, they won't say it, but they feel it. And so it has affected them. Even their prayer life identifies to it. We've stopped asking God for things because we aren't sure that we'll get them. And that he'll pull through and give it to us. Most feel that God is disappointed in them. It's probably the way that they are living, the lifestyle that they're living, or whatever it may be. But they just feel that God, is not that God is disappointed in them. And God is going to punish them for all their wrongdoings. I had an experience. Many of you heard me talk about a fellow by the name of Popeye down in where I live, down in Springfield, West Virginia, who was hit on the back of the head and his, his skull was cracked by his stepmother. And so he hasn't been totally normal ever since. But uh, he came up to the farm this last past week and um, he said to me, uh, prayer. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll have prayer. He says, well... He says, maybe I could have one. And I said, sure, you have the prayer. And he prayed a beautiful prayer. All his little heart could tell him was, God, uh, I'm thankful. Um, And he was trying to think of what for. And he was just, Lord, I'm thankful. Uh, I'm thankful. And then finally he said, I'm I'm thankful to be here with Gary. And he said, "Uh, I appreciate what you're doing for me. A simple, honest prayer. Nothing is so devastating than a parent's love being withheld because a child failed to perform. The greatest lesson that all of us fathers will ever learn, and that is that God God has unconditional love for each and every one of us. But unless we experience it and know it deep down inside, we can never teach it. And that's the problem today. We can say it, but do we really believe it down here? God the Father is not going to perform according to how we imagine him. He's going to be his true self. And when we find that God is unpredictable, our minds deep down in our subconscious mind, we have doubts about God and his reliability to help us. Here lies the reason to increase our knowledge about God. One of the things that I pray for is that when you come here, that your knowledge will be increased about God, about God's love, about what he's doing in you and through you. Some common concepts of God are, God is sort of like a grandfather. Kind, maybe a little strict at times, but uh, doesn't really relate to the world the way it is today. Some feel that God, the Father, is a perfectionist. And being a perfectionist, he expects us to follow all of his requirements. God is a demanding God. And sometimes you hear it, that God expects me to do my part. And then if I do my part, he'll do his part. Which is totally wrong. But that's our concept and that's our view of God. That somehow we have to do our part and then he'll kick in and do his part. Sometimes God, he looks at us as, um, or we look at him like he's some sort of a school teacher. He's grading us all the time. And it's always if we pass or if we fail. And so deep down inside, we Christians can hide a lot. We can pretend that we have a relationship with God and we want it. But most of us do not understand how to get it. Some of us look at God as a hard taskmaster. And what we accomplish is what's important. Many fathers have painted that picture, whether consciously or unconsciously. But we need to look at some of the liberating truths about God the Father. And so we're going to go to John. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We are children of God. We have a right to proclaim it, because that's who we are. Our names, you know, it's it's strange how some of us think. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, God wrote down our names in the Lamb's book of life. And sometimes we feel, because of, our, because of the way we think up here, some of our actions and everything, we sort of think that, that God is not satisfied with us. He's a little disappointed in us. And some of us feel that because of our actions that God sort of erases the name and then when we get our act together, our names go back into the book of life, and that's not true. Once your name is written in the Lamb's Book of life, whether you were 10 or whether you were 110, it doesn't make any difference. Once that name is written in the Lamb's Book of life, it is there to stay. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. It'll never be erased. it can't be. It'll always be with us. Our names will always be written in the Lamb's book of life. And then in Galatians 4, 6 and 7, the Bible says this. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. Now you notice here that I put a lot of emphasis on the heart. And this is one of the reasons why. Because the spirit of his son went into your heart when you said yes to Christ. Therefore, You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, what is your inheritance? Well, the Bible says our inheritance is eternal life. So whether you were eight or 80, it doesn't make any difference. When you said yes to Christ, you received the gift of eternal life. Now, a lot of people think in their minds that when they die, they'll receive eternal life. No, you received it at the moment you said yes to Christ. You have eternal life now. You are living in eternity right now. You have Christ. Christ is eternal. And that's why the Bible tells us that you are in Christ. Christ is in you. That's eternity. You have it right now, this very moment. You've had it ever since you said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a child of God... You receive that gift, you receive the spiritual riches of his kingdom. The problem is that most of us do not know or understand what we have received. Listen, I preached for 15 years and didn't know it. So it's a common thing that most of us, we really don't know what we have. The treasures and the richness of God's kingdom is within us. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us to adoption and sons through through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will. Now here is a text that is used to support the doctrine of predestination. And I'm going to be covering that, that whole subject in detail soon. But it was never about God pre-selecting people to be saved and pre-selecting some to be lost. The Bible says he wished above all things that all, of, of all that all would be saved. He wants everyone saved, but he gave us a free choice. So it's about God's sovereignty, his right to include Gentiles into the gospel invitation. You read Ephesians, and it becomes quite clear. But if you take that text out of context, you're going to be confused. The loving kindness of God never changes. The truth is, we cannot disappoint God. Now, I don't know about you, but I can only speak for myself. There are probably a thousand times I thought I was was disappointing God. I never realized before that we cannot disappoint God. God knows us. God knows that we were born sinners. We were created that way. And just because we sin, we do not disappoint God. His love is unfailing even though we fail miserably. God loves us more, as much on our worst day as he does on our best day. And the reason he does is because his love is grounded in the cross. Not our behavior. That does not determine his love. Satan's goal is for you to focus on sin and death and not on life. And there's too many Christians today that are focusing on sin and death. When the sin issue has already been taken care of. We all know how we feel when we sin. It's a bitter experience. It's not a pleasant experience. When we sin, we feel bad. That's a natural cause of sin. And as much as we, we ask God to forgive us. He forgave us before we even asked him. Our forgiveness is not determined on our asking for forgiveness. It all took place at the cross. Now in Romans 6.21, the Bible says this. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. In 22, it says, but now having been freed from sin, now let's read it in this context. The Bible says, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derived your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. So you and I woke up this morning with the realization that we have eternal life. Wow! I mean, that's enough to get us excited that we have already we are experiencing our eternal life. Someone might say, "Well, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel that exciting just because I know that I have eternal life, because there's all sorts of things that are happening. This world with its trials and tribulation is coming at us, and this world stinks. There's nothing good about it." And those of us that are older, we look at it and we think, wow, I'm glad I'm not in this generation. But every generation has thought that since since the very beginning of time, that things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And today, it feels just that way. So the Bible says here that the difference is between life and death. Paul is talking about something that we experience while we're living. Now, this is important that we understand this. Our question is, what is this death that we experience while we're living? Because that's what Paul is saying. So what is this death? This death is our loss of freedom. That's the death that we are experiencing. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like just life isn't working? I mean, as much as you read the Bible, as much as you pray, that still it seems like life isn't worth it. And it just doesn't seem to get any better. This is a sign of death brought in by sin. This world, when it comes at us, it hurts. And Paul stresses, press, stresses over the this over this thing again and again. You have been set free. If you have been set free of sin, why is it that sin is bothering you? You have been set free, he says. You are no longer a slave of sin. You are no longer a slave to evil. It says, but you are a slave to righteousness. Galatians 5.1 says, for the wages of sin is death, or excuse me, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a gift from God. And then in Galatians 5.1 it says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. And do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now the Bible says we, we are not slaves of sin. And so now the Bible says. Therefore keep standing firm. Firm in your belief. Firm in your belief. That you are eternally secure. That you are already experiencing eternal life now. Stand firm in that belief. And Father's that's the very thing that we should teach our children. We should tell them the truth and the truth will set them free. Now, in John 17, 3, the Bible says this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, we're to teach our children that God will guide them through life, And that he loves them as much on their worst day as on their best day. Now, I want us to understand this idea about being a slave to righteousness. Because there's a lot of confusion here. We are a slave to righteousness. In other words, deep down in our core, we don't want to sin. We really don't want to sin. And the reason we don't want to sin is because we're born again. But there's a different story up here. When all these bad thoughts come through our minds, all this discouragement and despondency, and all these things that come through our mind here. And that's our problem. So, what about this slave to righteousness? Are we really righteous Are we really righteous? Or is God just pretending we are righteous? Some even believe that our righteousness is a positional truth. This is a theological term that is often used in different different doctrines of the Bible. They say, oh, that was positional. And what does this positional truth mean? Well, some theologians believe that it is just simply... God's bookkeeping system up in heaven, but it's not really here on earth in you. And that's what really matters. Now, that's what some theologians think. In the theological term, they say that righteousness has been imputed. Imputed means it's been credited or accounted, but not actually imparted. And so, not actually given to us. But it is true that the Bible does say that righteousness, we are credited righteousness. In Romans 4, 24, But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So, it does say that we are credited righteousness. But let's look at the whole truth. Let's not just take something out of context, but let's look at the whole truth. There is a real transformation that takes place at our very core. The Bible says that you have been born of the Spirit. That's what being born again is. You have been born of the Spirit. We were spiritually. Crucified, buried, and raised in a newness of life. In 1 John one twenty-nine, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practice righteousness is born of him. The only way that you can practice righteousness, the only way is to be born again. So, if you find yourself wanting to do the right thing, if you find yourself wanting to understand God more, you have been born again. And the Bible says, because of that, you have been credited righteousness. But there's more to that. That's only half the truth. There's more to that than what most people understand. So, here it is is found in 2 Peter 1.4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. When you read the Bible, do you look at those promises as being magnificent? Do you really appreciate what they are? That God has granted to you eternal life and you already have it? That is magnificent, I would say, that that we can know that. And then it says here, so that by them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, it says here that you are partakers of his divine nature. A partaker is someone who shares in what has been imparted to them. So, all these things God has imparted to you. This idea that God is pretending that you're somebody that you're not is totally untrue. You are exactly who you are, and God sees you that way. A new, look what happened to you. When you said yes to Christ, you received a new heart. You received a new human spirit. And then you received. The filling of the Holy Spirit. In your life. Now because you have received. The gift of righteousness. And because that. What you are at your deepest core. You are exactly that. You are righteous. You are absolutely. A righteous person. It's not. It doesn't determine what goes on up here. Just because you have bad thoughts, and all of our thoughts are different, it's all, it depends on how we were raised, where we were raised, what we went through. All of these things are deep grooves in our mind. But our mind isn't what we're concerned about. Yes, these things will come through. I've shared with you before. I mean, I can be thinking of the Bible. I can be thinking of God, and all of a sudden, a bad thought will go through my mind. And I think, how in the world did that happen? Why in the world would I even be thinking of that? It is called the power of sin. The power of sin is in the body. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says this. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when God took care of the sin issue, we became righteous. We are righteous at our deepest core. And you've heard me say this before. Oftentimes when these thoughts come through through our minds, we just go 12 inches down to our deepest core. And the Bible says that we have a new heart. And that new heart transforms and changes us. It gives us a desire to want to do right. Now the struggle is up here. It's not down here. And so what does Jesus say? When I come back, I will give you a new body and solve that problem that's up here. And now you have a perfect fit. You already now have... A perfect heart. You have a beautiful and wonderful. New human spirit. You desire to do what God wants you to do. You don't always do it. Because of the things that go on up here. But when Christ comes. And you receive a new body. That will all change. Now. This idea. About. God looks at us through Jesus' glasses, is not true. It's a nice thought, but it's not true. God is not blind. We are slaves of righteousness now. God is not pretending that you are somebody that you're not. He knows exactly who you are, and he knows your heart. And that's the only thing that matters with God is your heart. If He has your heart, He has you because He gave you that heart. Now, we are saints who still sin. We are. And when we sin, we feel bad about it. It's okay to feel bad about it. But God is not judging us on our behavior. He's judging us on our heart. He knows your heart. I have never in my life met a Christian who didn't have a good heart. i met a lot of them who didn't know that they had a good heart. And the way they treated some people, it didn't seem like they did. It's simply because they did not understand what took place at the, at the core, the core of their being. I have known people, I have been on the bedside of people that that were dying, that that they were so frustrated in their mind. They they were such a disappointment to God. And they have asked me many, many times, Pastor, is there any way, any way you think I can ever go to heaven? I say, you don't ever have to worry about it. You were born again. You may not understood everything that took place when you were born again, but it took place whether you understood it or not. And you're safe. You're safe and secure in Christ if you've accepted him as your Savior. Our righteousness is very real. We are not a disappointment to God. Our righteousness is good and sound and as solid as a rock. In 1 John 2.29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Every single person here, you wouldn't be here if you weren't. Every single person wants to practice righteousness. But we all, most of us, we don't understand that we are already righteous. We don't have to practice it anymore. There will always be a desire to do what is right. But we are already righteous now. If we were to die today, the next moment we would wake up, we'd see Jesus. And he would welcome us into the family. We're already in that family. We're already there. We're already in the family of God. So, the lesson that we learn is we are righteous. We are everything that God says we are. And make no mistake about it, that is who you are. Your desire is good. Your desire is from God. Your desire is the result of a new heart, a new human spirit. And you are full and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for what you are doing, what you have done, and what you will continue to do. You will recreate us into your image. Father, we are thankful that we are learning and growing every day of our life. We're thankful for that. And we're thankful for the security that you have given to us. That not only is everything all right, but we're all right. We're safe and secure in your arms. Now bless us throughout this day. I pray for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.